Uh, no one uh, really enjoys suffering, do they? So if, you, if you're an introvert, you can raise your hand. But those people who enjoy suffering, no one. So whether you are getting, if you're over 40, right, and you start having some back problems, right, or you end up uh, uh, ending a relationship, whether it's a friend or a co-worker or what have you, um, or you understand that there is sickness inside your body that you can't do anything about, if the Lord brings suffering into your life, you don't like it. It's just something that we reject wholeheartedly. One key reason for religion, um, especially a religion all around the world, religion has to answer some of life's hardest questions. And one of the hardest questions is why the presence of suffering? Why the presence of sin in our own lives? Um, for half of the world, uh, they believe uh, that uh, re- the way the religion would answer the question is for you to flee or for you to escape all suffering, all pain, all hurt, all demise. And so you find your, yourself in a trance of tranquility or equilibrium or balance in order to escape all of that pain or suffering. There's another half of the world that actually encourages suffering, right? Encourages martyrdom, encourages for you to actually die for things because the way that you experience the most reward is actually the most suffering. And that's why people are strapping bombs to themselves and blowing themselves up. And so whether you are moving toward just escaping or what they call asceticism, which is the belief that you're rewarded for your suffering, in either case, we're trying to solve the problem of suffering. Well, how does Christianity solve this idea of suffering? What is it that we say as Christ followers are, uh, are, are, are uh, what's the answer to it? Well, it's with a simple word. It's with the word through. We believe that the creator of the universe, we believe that the savior of our sword, our, our soul, our Lord, our master, our Messiah, that he actually is going to join us in our suffering, not so that we can escape it, not that we, it's all on our own and that's the only way that we will be rewarded, but he will actually join us and we will walk through suffering with him. We can't dodge it. It's a part of our broken world, this idea of suffering. Today, we're going to hear this. We're just going to understand this one word, that Jesus Christ, that because he loves us so much and he is our shepherd, he's actually going to join us on that journey. He's going to join us and he's going to go with us and he's going to go through the, the darkness with us. We've started this year with Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a historically, you know, just a classic psalm, psalm that uh, most people recognize, some people have memorized. Young people, some of this earliest kind of understanding of the Bible, they know the 23rd psalm. A lot of us, there is a chance that the last words on our lips may be some of these types of syllables and words. It's that important to our faith. I thought it would be good for us to pause and for us to read this psalm out loud together. And so don't repeat after me. We're just going to kind of mumble our way through this, and we're going to try to go kind of slow. Here we go. Let's read it together and join me as we read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for we are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, these are your words, um, not ours. Help us to find great comfort in what these words mean for us. We've all started a new year, and so that means new things and new beginnings and new opportunities. Uh, You've asked us as a congregation to pause. And rather than being a bull rushing into a bold new vision for our lives, you just want us to focus on you and your character. Help this psalm to get closer to our hearts and closer to our minds. As we study it this morning, help us um, to learn and help us to understand more fully what it means that you will join us on this path. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. This is what we're going to call the Lord's presence. Last week we saw the Lord leading us and the Lord being our shepherd. Uh, Today we're just going to talk about the Lord's uh, presence. Uh, The very first phrase of Psalm 23, or at least verse 4 of where we're going to be studying today, verse 4 is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's that word, that word through, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, So far in the psalm, all we've seen are pleasant pictures. You've seen a pasture that's green, verdant green, and where everything is blossoming and good and soft, and you're drawn to it. You're also, you're able to see this bubbling brook, this stream, the still waters in which that are pleasant. Maybe you're dehydrated and you're able to actually want and long for these streams of waters, what, these paths of righteousness. So you've got this, this meandering trail through the woods in which the Lord is leading you on a trail or a a path of righteousness. We are talking, or we are walking, or hiking through the woods. We are in pastures of green. We are crossing rivers. We are on a path, and it's beautiful and it's good. And yet today we see for the very first time a dark image that even though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, uh, this this psalm is full of pictures and full of imagery. And it's important for us to realize right now that we do have a shepherd that leads us. And when he leads us, it doesn't always mean toward the good things of life, toward the positive things of life, toward the beautiful things of life. Sometimes when we follow after the shepherd, we follow him even in the dark or in the valley are the hard parts of life. If for some reason you have created some worldview in which the only, for the reason that you're worshiping Jesus is because he'll make everything better, know that Psalm 23 would actually teach the opposite. Jesus is walking with us. He's going through this path, but he'll actually lead us and he'll actually take us through very dark and very deep valleys. Even though I walk through the valley, 
So what is a valley? This idea that um, in the valley, you are at your lowest point. This is, not a, this is not a mountaintop. Mountaintops are amazing because you're able to see a vantage. You're able to climb up there and see everything below. And so it's wonderful and good. And you're able to see just the veranda is wonderful. It's not even just the the meadows where you're able to kind of be inside of a context and you're able to just kind of, it absorbs you and it's very pleasant in in these green pastures. Now we are in a valley where you're not high or wide, but you're actually at the lowest part. And a valley is interesting because it's, you're actually a bit claustrophobic. Not only are you at your lowest point, but there are cliffs that are, 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 are around you. And so you feel just, you feel like it's, it's coming in on you. And so this valley is, is full of towering cliffs and you are at the bottom and you feel small. And what the psalmist tells us is that we are in the shadows as well. So it's a valley at the lowest point, surrounded by high cliffs and it's dark. The valley of the shadow of death. This idea that um, it's dark down here. It may be scary down here. We may not be able to see very well. Now we know that shadows aren't real, right? However, for a little kid or even for us, shadows can be a little bit freaky, right? So even though they're not real, doesn't mean that they don't do something psychologically to us. Shadows, right, are just shadows. There's no substance to them. And yet if you're walking on in a dark alley in a strange city and you see a shadow come up behind you, your heart will begin to race as if that shadow were real because shadows represent something. We are in a, in a valley at the lowest point around towering cliffs where we feel claustrophobic. And there's a darkness there. There's a shadow there. Shadows are shadows. And shadows, whoop, shadows are the, the, this ill representation of what is real. Shadows of guns won't kill you, and yet they'll still scare you. Uh, shadow of a mean dog, right, can't bite you. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't impact you in a real way. And so there's a real, not real idea of Psalm 23, that it's an appearance and it still affects us. And yet God is still the shepherd and he is over these things and we need to realize these two things. So we are in a valley, but it was also directional, right? It's our directional. It's not just the destination. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no uh, evil for you are with me. This idea of directional, he is walking us through the valley. And that's what is the main point of this sermon is and this service is do you believe that God the God of the universe will walk through these things. Even the darkest seasons of your life, will he be there with you? It's directional, walking through the valley. For many of us, especially when we're in the dark seasons of our life, in the shadowy seasons of life, we believe that that is your destination. And so the darkest days of your life will become who you are. That is who you are. It will define you from this point forevermore. 
And so whatever that dark season was, whatever that dark relationship was, whatever that dark decision was, you believe that 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 will now define you and that is actually your destination. And you belong in the dark shadows of a valley forever. But that's not the, the message of Psalm 23. The Psalm 23 is not for you to stay in the valley, not for it to define you, but actually directionally is that God is actually going to teach you as you walk through this valley, through these things for us, with us, to us. And so very, I mean, practically, what is the darkest part of your story? Who is there and what is there? And have you allowed that season or that relationship or that decision to define you? And do you believe that you will be forever stuck because of that dark, shadowy moment? Jesus Christ has written this psalm to help you out of the valley this morning. If you believe that, for it to correct your thinking, to say it's not to keep you there. It's not to define you, but instead for you to sense that you have a Savior who will walk through that season with you. It's directional. He's going to go through the valley. For I will fear no evil because why? Because I am with you. This idea through, this idea with is, this, uh, is the way that we are going to come through the valley. The shepherd's presence is in the valley. It's directional. It's not our destination. And he uses these instruments. This idea that there are things that show up in our places. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for you are with me. And it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of ink spilled as to whether this is two instruments or one, whether there is a rod and there is a staff, right? There's two of these things, or whether it's just one and it's both a walking stick and a shepherd's crook. I don't care. I don't think it matters. However, you do need to know that whether it's one or two, there are two different purposes for this instrumentation that he uses this instrument. He uses the rod. And whether it's one or two, he uses it for defense mechanisms. He will go, and whether it's like a police's baton, right, that he will throw or he will beat, it's just an instrument that will push back other predators or other thieves, and it's it's to protect the sheep. Or it's a walking stick, right, that helps him. Or it's got a a true shepherd's hook on the end of it so it will be able to reach and guide or to push the sheep back into direction, be able to keep them all together. It's a very shepherding type instrument that will both keep us in and keep us close and then also to protect us from the things on the outside. The shepherd uses these instruments to do one thing, to comfort us. Again, this is some of the the moments where you're seeing danger for the first time. You're able to see that there's a dark valley, but then why in the world do we need this rod and this staff, this, this instrument that will be able to protect us or to guide us because we are on, we are, we're on shaky ground. We need him to do things for us and to help us. We need these instruments because that's who he is. He is going to come alongside and use all of his gifts at his availability to protect us and to guide us. We're, we're told 
that Psalm 23 is actually a part of a bigger understanding in the Psalms. That if you actually go back to Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 24, instead of seeing all three as separate, that they could be glued together and they have one good moment together. Psalm 22 is that very famous psalm in which Jesus Christ himself is shouting with his lungs on on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All throughout Psalm 22, it's that God's redeemer, that God's servant is going to die and that he will undergo great punishment for us. And so the death of Jesus and the punishment of Jesus and the, and, and the, and the, the erasing of both sin and death are found in Psalm 22. Of course, Psalm 23 is the Lord Jesus, who says himself as the good shepherd, is him doing life, just walking to and fro with his disciples on how we should be able to walk on this planet and do real discipleship with him. And then Psalm 24 is this king of glory, this idea that there is a king that will come back for us and erase all things, I mean, all things, and we will be able to reign with him for all eternity. Psalm 22 is the idea that there is the penalty of sin that has been, that has been conquered with Christ Jesus. So the penalty of sin is taken care of. Psalm 23 says that there is the, the power, or the penalty is the power of sin. You're able to walk with the shepherd in a daily basis with him. And then ultimately, this king of glory that will come back for us and welcome us into all eternity, he will then take care of the presence of sin. And so the power or the presence, uh, sorry, the power, uh, sorry, the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, all of those things are taken care of and seen in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Why do I make that case? Because if Psalm 23 is this idea of relationship, then we know that this is how we are going to walk with him. Oftentimes in our day-to-day journey with him, he will need to push us back together to the flock. Or he may even need to do something a little bit more stern, whether he will pop or discipline or either correct us to keep us in or to keep us out. That's what the shepherd does. And so as pleasant as last week was with green pastures and good trails and still waters, today is a little harsher. There's shadows. There's enemies. There's even the Lord himself using instruments to be able to keep us in line. Do we see the good shepherd like that? Do we see him as allowing valleys? And do we actually see him in his lovingness, loving and in his kindness, actually coming and disciplining us in these moments? He is walking through the valley with us and for us because he doesn't want us to feel alone. And oftentimes when we feel the closest to him is actually when he's using harsh instruments to defeat the enemies on the outside, or get this, defeat the enemies that are on the inside. This rod and the staff is to push away wolves or bears or lions in which they are actually able, becoming an outside threat to us. And the shepherd himself drives them away. 
But oftentimes we are the ones who actually wander off or we're the ones who are being cantankerous and he is the one that's going to have to actually discipline us or give us a little nudge. This is in his parameters for us to do this for us. To understand Psalm 23, you can't even understand it unless you realize that Jesus, the God, is our shepherd. But by implication, that means that we are sheep. Let me say that again. The only way that you can understand Psalm 23 is to understand that he is a shepherd, but that you, me, we are his sheep. Over 500 times in the Bible, God's people are defined as sheep. And here's the problem. Sheep are not smart. Sheep have been defined as dumb. Sheep wander off. Sheep don't know their own limits. It's been said that water is 15 or 20 feet away and a sheep would stand there knowing that there's water and unless he or she is led to the water's edge would sit there or stand there and dehydrate and die because he doesn't know how to protect himself. Who is a sheep's predator? Everything. If you're a bear, you can maul him, right? If you're a leopard, you have claws. If you're a dog, you can scare. If you're a cat, if you're a cat, you can just, you know, you can frighten him. If you're a gnat, you can annoy him. There's stories in which a, a sheep with gnats roaming around his ears or eyes or whatever is trying to get the, the gnats off of him in such ways that he's beating his head against a tree to get the gnats away and will actually die because of health, self-harm. What is a sheep's enemy? Everything is a sheep's enemy. And what does a sheep have at his own disposal to protect him from everything? Nothing. Does he have claws? No. Is he fast? No. Does he have jaws? Well, he has jaws, but does he have teeth? Or he has teeth. What am I trying to say? Fangs. No, he doesn't have fangs or claws or speed. He has none of these things. Does he have intelligence? No. Can he fly and get away from things? No. Can he hide? He's too big. I mean, he is nothing. And guess what? We are the sheep. And so to read this psalm in any other way that we are the dumb ones and we cannot protect ourselves and that we have enemies that abound is to be too nearsighted. Yes, we have a shepherd and we, and this, the, the point of the, of the passage is him and him alone, but we have to read ourselves into the text as we are the ones who will wander off and we are the ones who are susceptible to pray and we need a good shepherd to get us out of that. It is so strong, right, that the United States of America has a bald eagle because they have talents. Or Russia is a bear because he has paws. Or India is the Bengal tiger, right? We don't like to associate with things that are weak. The banners that we fly are about stronger, bigger, amazing things. In today's football game, right? It's a big day for Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, because our Titans, right, are going to get mangled by the Chiefs, right? But we're going to still going to, we're going to root for them. 
But if you just take those two words, the chiefs and the titans, a chief is big and strong and triumphant, right? Titan, I don't know what a titan is, but it's got sharp things. He's bigger than you are, right? And so this is who we want to associate with. This is who we like to associate with. Whether it's country or mascots or whatever, we want something bigger and stronger. Yet 500 times in the Bible, we are associated with sheep. Why? Because we have nothing at our disposal to protect ourselves. We need the Lord as our shepherd to walk us through the places that we're tempted to be scared, tempted to even stay, tempted, or definitely will die. We need him to go through these places for us and with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. He's going to be there and walk through. He's going to be with us. And he's actually going to bring comfort to us in the darkest, scariest places of our lives. Psalm 23 has the shepherd as the one providing everything. He is doing this. He is doing this. He is doing this. He's leading on paths of righteousness. He's doing all of this. And yet in this section... There's a shift that these third-person pronouns, right, he, 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 actually turns and they become second-person pronouns. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. You, 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 you. Even in the pronouns, the Lord gets closer. Even in his pronouns, the Lord gets more personal. And so if you believe that the Lord has abandoned you in your darkest moments, if you believe that he wants nothing to do with you because of that despicable decision that you made, know that the king of glory actually wants to be thought of in different ways. He actually wants for you to see him closer, maybe even the closest when you are in the dark seasons of your life. Whether it's come upon you or it's self-imposed, it matters not. The sin and decay of this world will catch up to all of us. and We will find ourselves at the valley floor. The question is, how are we going to respond to it? And so today, just two simple questions. How have we responded in the past? Have we been on the valley floor with cliffs towering around us and us feeling sickly? What is our natural inclination? What do we naturally do? You're not like me, but I'll say I try to think my way through it, right? I try to talk my way through it. I try to reason my way through it. I try to then emotionally understand it. I then try to uh, get friends to come alongside. I mean, just all of these ways in which we respond to the darkest places of our life. Over and over and over, reach out, reach out, reach out, try to do whatever. The question is, because of these little bitty verses right, that are so impactful. How now should we respond when we go through our next dark season? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how should I know that those dark valleys, those shadowy things are going to happen? You can't dodge them. 
that's how you respond, just realization that they are going to happen. How should we respond in the future is that the Lord is not absent in those places. He's there. He wants to walk through those things with us. How should we respond in the future is that God will use instruments. And oftentimes it's to beat off our fiercest competitors. The ones that are threatening us or maybe the internal dialogue. Maybe he needs to discipline us from within. For whatever reason, he will use instruments, right? But ultimately it's for our comfort. It's for our good. Don't you know how this psalm ends? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There is goodness that is coming, y'all. There's goodness that is coming. And the goodness, the best, right? The best good is the fact that we worship the one who does not stand aloof and away, but actually will come close to us in our darkest moments. There's no other religion like that, especially one who would call himself the good shepherd, who would call himself the good shepherd. So much so, listen to these words. Jesus Christ would call himself the good shepherd. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here's the, here's the, our biggest enemy. The thief, verse 10, the thief, our big enemy. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our Master, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is his own, uh, he uh, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is not, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. How are we to respond in the future is that we have a good shepherd who comes and walks through the valley of the shadow of death. We hear in John 10 that Jesus laid down his life for us. Our two greatest enemies, sin and death. The greatest, deepest valleys of our lives, sin and death. The darkest, shadowy moments, sin and death. And Jesus comes, comes to lay down his life so that we would understand that we don't have to go in those places, those dark places alone. Instead, we have a Savior who precedes us and goes through that valley before we even understand that there's darkness around us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He is the good shepherd. And so the night that he was betrayed, he says something like this. He says, how will you get through the darkest valley? He says, I will give my life. And so he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you, given as a gift for you. And the way it's going to be given for you is the fact that I am actually going to have to undo life for you. He then takes, and we're going to study this next week, he takes a cup. 
a cup of wine that has been known for celebration and festival and party and goodness and just celebration. He takes a cup and this is, he's at a table, he's at a feast. He takes and he says, this is my blood of the good, good, of a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so the cup that was meant for gladness will actually be turned into righteousness by him shedding his blood for us. This is our shepherd. This is how we should see our shepherd given and poured out for us. Some of you have followed after false shepherds your entire life. And maybe some of you have been running from one like good thing after another and you've never considered the fact that Jesus is really calling you to himself. Maybe that dark place, maybe that shadowy place is why you turned your back on God. Maybe today is the day in which you see him as a good shepherd who precedes us in the valley and he is the one who is laying down his life for you. And instead of leaving you all by yourself, he's actually walking through you in it to get you to a destination for you not to stay there, but to get through it. We have uh, Colin and Carly in the back. That's our prayer corner. Those are men and women uh, who would love just to come and to pray with you, whatever needs that you have. We also have communion around the room today. Uh, We have four stations. We have bread and we have juice that will represent what you believe about yourself, right? Is that you can't get through the valley by yourself. But what you believe is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so by taking this bread and taking this cup, this is your, your, your vision or your mission statement to the world. This is your belief in practice. And that's why we do it every single week, because we need to declare to ourselves, it's not us. We can't make it by ourselves. We need someone to come alongside us. So go ahead and stand. Uh, Spend some time um, reflecting on this and just know that these stations are open for you to take whenever you see fit. And so you are invited to the table at this time.